0: Hello and welcome to Time to Talk. I'm your host, Sean Sannett, and today my very special guest is Ian Moss. Many of you will know Ian from his work with Cold Chisel, and he is, of course, one of Australia's greatest singers and songwriters and made a lot of solo records over the years, and he's just released a brand new album, Rivers Run Dry. Alongside talking about the new record, we also chat about some of the classic songs he either wrote or sang in Cold Chisel, as well as his early days in Alice Springs. I'm so pleased you can join me today. Here he is, Ian Moss. Thanks so much for coming on my podcast today. I really appreciate you making the time. Uh no worries. So new record out. Um finally. Well, I know it's been what 5 years since the last one. There's a big gap between the one before that. Yes. What you, what happens, Ian? Does a light bulb go off and you say it's time to make a record?
1: Uh look um it's uh, well, yeah. it finally, did with um, with with the last album. Uh, yeah, that was like you say, that was a, oh, it, it was a, a long time between studio albums. So it was sort of the the acoustic, all the acoustic things. But uh, for a live electric uh, new songs, um, yeah. That's uh, it's well. I, I went to, with that album to Nashville in about two thousand and fourteen to uh, finally finish off some writing ideas with uh, with um uh sam oh shoot uh, uh, got a blank <laughs> <laughs> uh, young young Sam from uh, uh his name will come back to me in a second. Um cross Anyway, um, and Sam was going to do, do do some producing, but we got to a situation where we got into, got into the studio, and I just was not happy at all with the uh, with the arrangements. And to me, it felt felt way too rushed. Anyway, wow. uh, came back here and uh, and got got stuck into it with Peter Walker, who's produced uh, the very first Cultures album, and um, and my yeah, and and the last album, the Ian Moss album. Mm. Um, so yeah, 2018, I, I guess. Uh, that haven't came out in 2018. Uh, what can I say? Is then you got a sort of tour, um, to yeah. the album, and you want to spend a year doing that. Uh, and then Cold Chisel, yeah. Uh, yeah, came along, so there was another almost another year uh, just dedicating yourself to that. And then, uh, then bang, we're in the middle of Covid, and um, and uh, before I was able to start writing down for the, for the Rivers Run Dry album, um, and uh. Then COVID sort of post, kept postponing the start of re- recording of uh, Rivers Run Dry. You know, it was it wasn't until late uh, late twenty one that actually got started, and then most of twenty two was the whole whole routine of uh, overdubs and yeah. Um, and the album album's been actually ready and finished for for six months now. Um, so it's just just. This whole process you have to go through of releasing a single, then
0: another single, and blah blah, and time gets away. <laughs> I love the double plane track. No, oh, thank with, you. I mean, you wrote that with Troy, I think, didn't you? That one?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a couple of couple of rights there with uh, with Troy. It's, um, uh, yeah, with that's well, that that, uh, that writing relationship with Troy has been developing for some time, I guess. Um, wonderful writer. Uh, he contributes to, he started writing with Don, Big Old Car. Yeah. Was, uh, mm-hmm. From the No Plans album. Um, yes. And also on the album is a track that I've had, had going around for a, for a long time, sitting the wrong side, lying moribund, the wrong side of the finishing line. Um, track while I'm going back, which, uh, as usual, for me, I've got most of the music figured out, but uh, a bit stuck for lyrics. So, so Troy came to the party on that one eventually, too, and in, in a big way.
0: It's interesting with this record because you've you've thrown the net pretty wide. you've written a lot of things you've co-written things and then there's a couple of songs you've got from other writers like uh uh the, the O'Shea's have written a song is it um the one with Casey uh Barry yeah, yeah yeah, how, yeah how that's did, a co-write with them yeah yeah. how did you go about finding those tracks?
1: um well, I, I did a did a similar journey as I did. It was uh, Sam Hawksley I'm talking about, sorry. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, went, uh, it was back in 2014 with Sam that uh, had already moved to Nashville and set up all the contacts. So I was able to use some of those contacts to go back to to Nashville in 2019 to do some more writing. And that's, and, uh, I think, uh, uh, my manager, Chris O'Hearn, um, yeah. uh, who's connected with Casey and and many in, in, in the country, scene, suggested I go right with the... Find those guys, and um, yeah, it was a successful day. I think with that with that track, the yeah. morbid storyline about hanging from a sycamore tree, or hanging beneath a sycamore tree. I don't know how we came up with that, but it's a powerful image.
0: What what's so special about going to Nashville to write? Is it? uh what what, what makes that place special?
1: Uh, it's just uh, just how much it it just lives and breathes music. Um, and as it's, it's always, it, yeah. But what, mate? That that that's probably it. It's just uh, when I when was there in 2014 to write with Sam, would uh, every day would would pretty much would have uh, someone lined up, and you'd get there at 11 a.m. Which is at first I thought, how the hell am I going to do? Who's going to get expired inspired at 11 a.m. But um, as long as I found just on the writing side of that as I found as long as I walked into a writing session with a seed of an idea that I believed in, something came of it. Mm. Um sometimes you went in there with a with a couple of people with a completely uh clean slate and it was a disaster. But anyway, um you'd say so you do your writing session and then soon, somehow sooner or later you'd find out, hey, such and such is playing here tonight, or, or this person's on tonight and blah blah just every night of the week was something something yeah. On somewhere, and it's just so it's just
0: inspiring. You did a Stevie Cunt, a Stevie Wonder cover there too, Blame It on yeah. the Sun. Was that a song you've been familiar with for a long time?
1: Uh, yeah, way back since um Cultures all, I think it was around the time Cultures all started with that. Um, even though you know we're a heavy rock band, but we uh, uh everyone was uh, a Stevie Wonder fan, and uh. That album, um, which the name was Talking Book, just uh, was never came off the turntable or or never came out of the cassette player. Don't think we had an eight track and just a cassette player. (laughs) Um, And uh, that that song, just fell in love with that song, um, and uh, just yeah, been dying for years to do do a version of that. So to finally do a version and have my son uh, Mm sing with me,
0: um, absolutely stoked. So Talking about cassettes and eight track and vinyl, this record's coming out on vinyl. Is that special yeah. for you to hear it on a 12 inch piece of uh, you know, plastic? Yeah,
1: yeah, hear it and see it, yeah, yeah. Um, just to give that nice big cover and that whole thing about being able to open up the cover and read all the notes or hmm. all, all that kind of thing. Um, uh. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, with, uh, with, whether they sound any better, you know, I don't know. I've, I've never really sat down and sort of carefully done that A-B a, kind, of, kind of thing, but uh, they um, they certainly feel like they should sound a, or a lot better than the old vinyl. They, they weigh a ton these days. Is,
0: yeah. Is heavy is good. Yeah, that's right, all that 180-gram stuff. And and when yeah. you put it on like, a record like yours, you want to sit there and hear the whole thing before you flip it over. You can't go off and... Do jobs, otherwise you'll miss the record. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. When you were starting out as a kid, what were the records that you bought early on that really inspired you?
1: Um. Well, I I, I, I was buying, uh, yeah, forty fives. Yeah. As a as a five year old, Um, just hassling the parents for a few bob to. uh, Well, what did they cost back then? Yeah, what did they cost? One shilling. One shilling. Yeah, back in the sixties in Alice Springs, when it was really hard to get what you wanted. Um, you know, the, the first, the first uh, record, the first, the first single I ever wanted was uh, was Johnny Horton, "Battle of New Orleans," Uh-huh. and it took forever to get it, and then finally it uh, it came on an EP, four tracks with. Um, uh, I don't know, oh geez, I can't pointed pointed blue, no it wasn't blue suede shoes pointed toe uh, shoes I, I, I can't remember the other artist, um Long Black Veil um, mm-hmm. she walks these hills in a long black veil nobody knows, nobody knows. Um, yeah beautiful songs but uh, Battle of New Orleans that was that was number one single um, and then <laughs> I believe the first album was – I should remember my mates all chipped in and bought me Jimi Hendrix, oh. um, uh, Greatest Hits. And uh, then, yeah, then all the classics followed, and probably Sgt. Pepper's would have would have been next. And, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. W- was it hard to get the records in Alice Springs? Was it a bit of a wait time?
1: Uh, yeah, fuck yeah. To, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd always pick something which uh, – which was, wasn't, and there was one local, Murray Neck, Murray Neck Electronics, you know, electronics and vacuum cleaners, etc. It was the only record saw in town. Um, yeah, really hard. I'd always want something I didn't have on the shelf, and uh, and just ordering anything in Alice Springs and those, it just took, you know, just took weeks and weeks, and, and when you're that young, that's, that's a long time to wait.
0: <laughs> so, when you got that Hendrix record, did that Turn you onto the idea of being a lead guitar player, or were you into that idea? When did that kind of happen? You started playing lead.
1: Not not much uh, before that. Not long before that. Um. Um. Yeah, my, my teacher was a was a woman called Sylvia Davenport. Uh-huh. Um. And for the first couple of years, it was uh, more you know fabulous stuff. Now uh, shadows. Uh Apache and Walk Don't Run and uh, uh Guitar Boogie in a very simplistic form. Even Sadie the Cleaning Lady. Mm-hmm. Um was one of the first songs I've ever learned. Um but yeah, then heard that Hendrix record and then and Cream and Led Zeppelin pretty senior. We got <clears throat> we're definitely among some of the first people in this country to hear Led Zeppelin. I think with the with the um uh, we were just this dead, quiet country town, and then uh, Pine Gap was built. It seemed like it was virtually what, what, what they call a the shake and bake. Or whatever it was built into colony, built overnight. We uh, went home from secondary high school uh, in 1960, 1969. Came back in January, and uh, came back to go back to school in February 1970. And uh, there was a massive population of American kids at our school, and Bang, and there was there was all this regular you know, Led Zeppelin and uh, all, all, all sorts of stuff, you know, Stephen Wolf and uh but, um I think you know, Grateful Dead and et cetera, et cetera.
0: Jethro Tull. Um yeah. It was a good a good time. That must have been pretty mind blowing to uh come back one summer later and all that music's at your fingertips.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh yeah uh, extraordinary and just thrilling and 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 yeah you know, perfect timing for for someone who's just really really seriously starting to get into a guitar into the guitar
0: when I hear you play, um somebody could put a song on that I've never heard before, but if you are on it, I know that it's you. and okay. it, do, do you um is that that's the hallmark of great guitarist to me where you can go, that's Eric Clapton, that's Ian Moss when did you first realize you had a signature sound? Or is it something that's just always been in you since you started playing?
1: Um I no, I mean it's I'm I'm still still surprised to hear that. I, I uh it's something you, you I was never really aware of that. It's just been when people people tell you that. Um oh. which is quite quite an honor if it if it's true. <laughs> um because yeah, it, it is. It's some. I mean, to, to me, Jeff Beck is one of those. those was my sort of all-time favourite guitar player, mm. and his his classic. It's just like two notes that's Jeff Beck. Yeah, it's if I uh, if I can be anywhere near that sort of level of recognition, that's uh, that's
0: that's quite an honour. I, I met so, Johnny. I met Johnny Marr once, and he told me that Jeff Beck could play a lump of wood, and it would sound amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'd imagine that. Yeah. Yeah, um yeah technically sure there's plenty of guys that can do the big trading thing uh way better but it, that's that it means nothing if if uh, if there's no feel or, or you just sound like a machine and you don't sound like anyone but uh, that's definitely not the case with Jeff Beck
0: yeah I was curious, curious obviously on this album you've written a lot of songs yourself one of the great Australian songs for me written by anybody is by River and I, I wondered um how did that song come into being?
1: Very slowly. <laughs> um bits and pieces. Uh we you know, cultures had done two albums and there was barely any uh contribution to songwriting from uh from most of the band. It was it was mainly all all done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then with a bit, you know a bit of poking and prodding and ass kicking and begging and screaming, um, and people started to extract the digits by about the East East album, um, and then you know got even better at it by the Circus Animals album, which uh, Bo River was on. Um, Bo River started started with uh, I guess what you'd call a bridge or a pre-chorus that oh, listen now to the wind listen now to the rain feel that water licking at my feet um, I think it was just that not even that, I don't don't want to see this just that bit we were we are over at Trafalgar Studios uh, here in Annandale where I live and uh, um, I, I remember we are just just testing amps getting sounds and and uh, I don't know where everyone else was. I know Steve Presswich was behind the kit and that just suddenly poured out and Steve went, what's that? That's, I said, oh, no, oh, nothing. No, what is it? Be, whose song is that? Said, no, was just something I made up. He said, that's fantastic. You've got you to keep working on that. Um, which Only half believed at the time. Um, but, yeah, so I was... Drabs and Drabs. So I think the chorus might have been. You know, I don't want to see this town. Came next, and then the verses, and then yeah. And clearly, the song was about. Uh, you know, it had. It drew on Australian landscape, and uh, and uh, it became a uh, going home songs Is always uh, always a good theme. Mm. Uh,
0: good.
1: Yeah,
0: it took a year to come together. And getting Jimmy to see the end bit, was that your idea or does that just feel like a natural thing to do in the studio?
1: Um, it was something we, we were conscious of and did quite a lot where, uh, where we wanted – I suppose we wanted to include my voice but on yeah, often. Hmm. Um, and I made – and, I mean and that worked quite quite well quite democratic people would come along with songs and most of the time you go you just get sucked into it straight away then others would just be like that's that's what that's, you should sing this in and uh, and that there never seemed to be a fight or an argument it just seemed to be a natural selection it was obvious as to which I what I should and shouldn't and and uh, I I'm not sure what the first song was that that we decided to do the the uh, media that you know, like, more is over. There's, there's another example for a start where it starts down a bit and then it all steps up and goes up to this ridiculous this ridiculous range of notes that only Jim and John Farnham can hit. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, by River, definitely for that particular key. It probably almost came by accident because I just started playing it and recording it in a certain key and then realised that, uh, at some point it was too high for me. And so I was like, well, look, Jim, you take over from here and uh, yeah. bring him home, son,
0: <laughs> which he so sure did. Well, sure when, he played, well, when Steve played you When the War Is Over, did you recognise that as this song is going to be something pretty special or do you even recall that moment?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. I think it, 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 every bloke in the band to a T just sort of went, yeah, you know, was pretty gobsmacked with it. It was, uh, it was definitely one of those moments where we'd sort of come along every day. Well, I got this idea. What do you think of this? What do you think? And when when Steve presented that, it was, it was it was I think it was all done and dusted. I think we just went, let's get in there now and do it. <laughs> there wasn't much of a uh, messing around with arrangements, trying this and trying that. It it, it, it was pretty much all there. Uh, and fairly obvious
0: it was a uh, it was it was a special song yeah and Col Chisel Beatles, I guess are the only band I can think of where every member of the band wrote at least one classic song um uh,
1: and,
0: you know my baby uh Phil yeah, right so yeah. did, did Phil write that and sort of play you sing it to you and you went okay I I can do that
1: um yeah, I, I actually, I, I I think I got heavily involved. Uh, as as I think I, I arranged that song. Phil um, had bits and pieces and wasn't sure whether we should go to a chorus now or go to the bridge or have a solo here and there. I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, I'm not sure. Normally you lean on Don for for arrangement. He's um, very good at that. But that's that's one where I. I I'm pretty sure I I did most of that with Phil. Yeah. Um, Never before on the same album. That was my first um, well, not my first, but my my first well, well, yeah, my first idea, completely mine. uh, Completely solo writing. Um, That was was something uh, different again. It's a slight Latin kind of feel where where that one came from, but uh, it seemed to fit in with with cultures, style, and uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember much how uh, how long that one took to complete, but uh, it was all all fairly. We're all i uh, definitely on. A, had a purple patch for around the time of those when we came up with those songs, and things were flowing pretty smoothly. And inspiration was level,
0: excitement level was high. Um, um, yeah,
1: that that lovely, lovely time.
0: With the new record, when you made that, do you go into the studio knowing I've got these amount of songs? This is going to make a record, or does the record kind of shape itself during the recording process?
1: Um, it More shapes itself. Uh, it's not often. You, more often than not, you're uh, uh, you're you're going in and you're going into the studio with just enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's not often you've got that luxury of oh, we've got some fifty fantastic songs. How the hell are we going to choose an album? It's uh, it's more, you know, uh, more likely you've you definitely got three quarters. You're fairly confident you're three quarters of the way there, and then you put the work in and hopefully end up with a little bit of a surplus at the end. And and and, but generally you're down to choosing. You've only got two or three songs left there. Uh, and you've got to choose one of those kind of thing. Um Yeah. The the rest is to go towards the next album or go on B-sides.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. I saw you sing with Jimmy Webb a couple of years ago in Melbourne. Um, did that have any impact on your future songwriting after that experience of dissecting his songs?
1: Um, well, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think, yeah, it did, yeah, yeah. Me being anywhere near prolific certainly took a fair while, uh, and the last album for us, worth Ian is where, yeah, uh, you know, really finally got cracking. Um, so I was kind of on a on a roll, if you like, if you. Yeah. But uh, but but just doing doing that doing that, that those two concerts with Jimmy Webb and doing those particular numbers, I was. Um, Fantastic! I'd still, still, uh, hopefully one day I'll, I'll write a song uh, somewhere as good as um, uh, as uh, this time. Um, that was the name of the song, wasn't it? The ballad I did, uh, yeah, the Jimmy Webb song. Um, and uh, as Don Walker has done so often with songs like Janelle and mm-hmm. just how many times, and, and uh, quite a few more. Um, yeah, that's. That's still, um, still my
0: pipe dream to write, write a beautiful jazz jazz blues ballad one day. Well, you sang them so beautifully that night in, in Melbourne. It was terrific. And, and how it feel to be going back on the road? Are you excited about touring? Is the band that played on the album your, your road band? Uh, yeah,
1: pretty much. Um, I couldn't get uh, Clayton Dolly's uh, unavailable, unfortunately. Uh, him, yeah, the Dolly brothers are two of the greatest guys in the world. British players, Hammond and Keyes players. Uh, but, yeah, Zoe Haltman on bass, um, Kerry Jacobson on drums, and Kerry has been working with me since 1970, 1992. Um, uh, yeah, a couple of other Ollie, Ollie Thorpe, who played fly um, Guitar, in fact, on uh, Bury Me, and, uh, and Dobro on uh, I'm Going Back. He's on rhythm and vocals, and uh, terrific um, young uh, keyboard player by the name of Freya Garbet mm-hmm. uh, is joining us. So that's the one he to tip into often does back and vocals with Cold Chisel. That's a six-piece band. Um, yeah, that that that's well, recordings fun, writing's kind of a chore sometimes, and, and until you get an idea and you get excited about. But yeah, the the real fun's out there playing live. Sure.
0: Oh, brilliant, brilliant. So, yeah. when you finish this tour, um, do, do you and Troy plan to do anything else again, or you and Cold Chisel, or will you roll on to another Ian Moss solo project?
1: I'm uh, rolling on to more Ian Moss solo touring uh, for the rest of this year um, and just waiting to see. We'll just um, leave the slate open a little bit to see how well I do with the Rivers on Dry album. If it's, it's a huge demand that I get out there with a the band, and and uh, I'd more than happily do that. I, I, I do love. Um, both worlds, well, you know, having the cake and eating it too. You know? the, the solo acoustic thing is, is something fantastic about that. I love the challenge of just one guy and a voice. You know, I don't use loops or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, just you know, with one guitar implying a band and one, one person getting the message across. But, um, you know, there's nothing like plugging a strap into a, uh, into some kind of booster box into a stra- straight to a marshal and letting it
0: rip. That's that's where the real, the real fun is. What sort of strat do you play? Do you have one you've had for a million years, or uh, do you have a more recent one?
1: Um, yeah, look, I, 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 for a long time I, I only I, I barely had more than one guitar. Um, my my very first serious guitar was a, was a Gibson three three five, built mm-hmm. in about nineteen sixty one. Um, that was my main guitar for a couple of years, and I've still got that except. Uh, that particular or Gibsons in particular are prone. If, if 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 you drop them or they fall the wrong way, you can snap the headstock off. And unfortunately, for the third time, that's happened to that that three three five. So it's, that's uh, sitting there waiting to be repaired yet again. Um, uh, but Stratocasters, um, yeah, I've, I've bought most of mine in recent years. But I've got my favourite one is built by Greg Fryer, um, at luthier here in Sydney. Uh, which has gone through a few, you know, it's, 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 it's all Australian in some ways. It's got my specs to it. It doesn't have a belly contour like most strats do, and I've got the strap pinned up underneath the horn of the front, so it sits definitely on the body. Um, it's got Australian-made pickups, a guy called Rod McQueen, built slider pickups, some of the best in the world. Um, yeah. A bit of a mongrel, but
0: it's still a strat. Yeah. And the 335, is that the same kind of guitar Malcolm Young used to play?
1: Malcolm Young plays a Gretsch, I think. Mainly, really mainly famous hey, for little, little Gretsch. And right. Yeah, yeah. No, 335 is a bigger... I was probably inspired by... Blackmore used to play one before we picked up a Strat. And also Peter Walker was one of my favourite Australian guitar players. Uh, when everyone else was going for Les Pauls, for some reason I just didn't want to go down that route. And back in the early days, before people learned how to set up Strats, they were just too hard to play. Um really? Yes. Yeah, yeah. They uh they most yeah, the whole thing of uh these days, you know, the stress when they first came out at tiny frets and, and, and the radius of the neck was just too much and uh, it's uh, you need good good fat high fret wire to get your fingers under so you can bend strings. But before that the stress just were were too hard and too hard and probably more difficult to get a sound out of a big
0: Fat rock sound out of that you can with uh, and pickups on on Gibson. You, you know, um, um, Hank Marvin lives in Perth these days. Yes, and he told me he tried to import a uh, Telecaster into England after in the early sixties, and they sent him a Strat by mistake. That's <laughs> the most famous Strat, you know, or one oh, of wow. the most famous Strats in the world, right? Absolutely, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. One of yeah, absolutely, you're dead right there. Yeah, fantastic player.
0: Oh, yeah, he, he, he's just great. It's interesting how all those guys look up to him. Those, uh, you know, English rock gods.
1: Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we all do. It was def- definitely um, uh, influenced. Like I say, there was a, you know the first first tunes I was learning was was Shadows tunes and uh, uh, and there was a guy in Alice Springs. Uh, I'd love to know whatever happened to Barry. I can't kind of think of Barry's last name, but it was a brilliant, um, brilliant uh, Hank Marvin clone.
0: Ah, fantastic. Uh, Way back. Ian, I know you've got to roll on with other interviews today, but it was great to chat to you.
1: Thanks very much.